Welcome, everybody, to the NHL Weekly Show on the Grueling Truth Sports Network. I am your host for the NHL Weekly Show, Mike Goodpaster. Right now, I'd like to welcome in our NHL beat writer and my co-host for the Weekly Show, Sam McGinnis. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing good. Are you really? I am really doing good. I mean, minus the coronavirus, yes. <laughs> minus the coronavirus, yeah. All right. We'll go with that. What the hell? So, we have to come up with a way to continue to do an NHL show, so we're going to do some throwback shows. This week, we're going to start off with the top 10 teams in NHL history. Sam, what was your criteria? Uh, I think the two major criteria have to be a good regular season, and the second one definitely has to be good playoffs. Uh, I think the two combined really makes a really great team. You know, you can have great players on a team, but it really, at the end of the day, you're not measuring individuals, but the team as a whole. All right. So do you want me to start or do you want you to start? You can go ahead. All right. My number 10 is the 1969-70 Boston Bruins. And this was the Bruins' 46th season in the NHL. The regular season, the year was actually marred by an infamous incident in a preseason game against the St. Louis Blues when veteran Ted Green had an ugly stick fight with Wayne Mackey of the Blues, who they would eventually play in the Stanley Cup Finals. Green suffered a fractured skull and a brain injury as a result of the fight, necessitating a permanent steel plate put in his head, and he missed the entirety of the season. Both players were charged with an assault as a result of the incident, and it was the first time NHL players ever faced criminal charges. Now, during the season, Boston got off to a great start. They started the season 6-0-1, and and they followed that with a five-game winless streak, but they ended up 40-17. and Bobby Orr had a breakout season leading the Bruins, or leading the league, with 120 points, becoming the first defenseman in league history to record over 100 points, or also scored 33 goals, which was a record by defenseman. And this was a team also that had Phil, Phil Esposito, who had 43 points, John McKenzie, who registered 70 points. Sorry, that was 99 points for Esposito, 43 goals. Um, great team. They swept the Blackhawks. And they swept the Blues in the final two rounds of the playoffs. And actually, they swept the Blues in back-to-back seasons. And this, I think, was the first great post-expansion era team. Or era team. Sam, who's your number 10? Uh, funny enough, it's the same. So uh, I'm not going to rehash all of that. And I think we can just jump up to number 9. Okay. What do you got at number 9? I got the 1988-89 Flames. Now, I think the thing that really stands out between uh, other teams that have won the Cup with uh, lower wins is the fact that the Flames have won 54 games this year and then followed it by winning their first ever Cup. I think that takes a lot, and just having won 54 games plus a Cup definitely deserves consideration for being higher on a list. Really, Sam? The Flames from 88 and 89? Yeah, they won 54 games and then won the Cup. I mean, that's a lot. All right. I'm just giving you a hard time right now, Sam. You know I am. I know. That's why we're over it. (laughs) You're over it, huh? All right. Mine would be the 1974-75 Philadelphia Flyers. Now, they were known for fighting, and they were really good at it. And I don't know, have you ever seen the Broad Street Bullies um, documentary HBO did? 
Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen... Oh, yes, yes, I have seen that one. Yeah. I've seen a couple documentaries on those guys. What do you think of it? I thought... You know what? Flyers and fighting just go together, so it's hard not to make that interesting. Yeah, but I think this... I think people forget how good this team was. Um, And they're known for fighting, especially like Dave Schultz. But he topped his mark from the from the previous season. He set an NHL record for penalty minutes, 472. So you got to give him that. But I really think that this was a great team that people kind of forget about because of the fighting. They had a first-round bye. Then they easily swept the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then they beat the New York Islanders. And this was one that the Islanders – we're down three games to nothing, won three straight games to tie the series at three, and then the Flyers finally shut the door in game seven. They faced the Buffalo Sabres in the Stanley Cup Finals. The Flyers won the first two games at home. Game three played in Buffalo. I think will go down in hockey lore as the fall game due to an unusual May heat wave in Buffalo, which forced parts of the game to be played in a heavy fog as Buffalo's arena lacked air conditioning. A lot of them did back then. Um, the Boston Garden didn't have air conditioning, which led to an incident in the Stanley Cup Finals in the late 80s where a game actually had to be called and replayed the next day. The Flyers lost games three and four, but won game at five, game five at home. And on game, game six, Bob Kelly scored a decisive goal, and Bernie Perrant posted another shutout, his fourth of the playoffs, as the Flyers repeated as Stanley Cup champions. And... Bernie Perrant also repeated as the playoff MVP, winning his second Conn Smythe trophy. So that's my number nine, Sam. Do you want to go with number eight? Sure. My number eight is actually, this is interesting, because they didn't actually play 82 games that year. They only played 50. But even still, I think the 2012-13 Chicago Blackhawks are number eight. They were 37 seven and five that year if they had actually had the full 82 games they would have been in the 50s and wins easily and I think uh just during this dynasty period they had a lot of very great teams but I think this was easily their best one uh, I remember talking to you about this with Stuart Mason when he was on a couple months back they are easily uh one of the greatest teams I've ever seen play and they had a lot of iconic and clutch moments during the playoffs that really helped them get there in the end. So I think uh, this definitely deserves to be there. All right. That's a little too recent for my taste. Greatness for me is defined <laughs> usually before 1990. I do have a couple teams after that, but I think I only got one from the 2000s. I'm not impressed by present day anything. Um, my number eight would be the 83-84 Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers became the first of the four former World Hockey Association clubs to win the Stanley Cup. They did so by dethroning the four-time defending champion New York Islanders. This is an Islander team the year before that dominated them. And, you know, Grant Fuhrer, I think, really showed everybody how great he was at his Stanley Cup final debut. He posted a shutout in Game 1 at the Nassau Coliseum, handing the Islanders their first loss in 10 Stanley Cup Final Series games. Because I I don't think there's any doubt that the greatest dynasty outside of, let's say, post-expansion, were those probably the Edmonton Oilers in the mid-'80s, late-'80s, and, of course, from 1980 through 1984, the New York Islanders. Um, Four Oilers, Kevin McLennan, 
Glenn Anderson, Mark Messier, and Ken Lensman scored game-winning goals. Messier had 26 points, 8 goals, 18 assists, winning the Conn Smythe Trophy. And it was a really special team. It was Wayne Gretzky, the greatest player of all time. And when you look at this, I don't think people remember that the New York Islanders were considered kind of invincible at that time. And the Edmonton Oilers pretty much took care of them with ease in the 83-84 series. Um, number seven, Sam? Well, yeah, and I'm going to add on to that a little bit. They were considered unstoppable. And despite the fact that it seems a little odd that Wayne Gretzky could ever be on an underdog team, they did come up and do quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, I, nobody realized how great – I think everybody realized how great Gretzky was. But that Islanders seemed like a team, kind of like the Patriots today, where they just seemed it was never going to end. Right, and then when it finally ends, it, it catches them off guard. Yeah, and I mean, it's the same thing we see in other sports, where if you go back to the 80s in basketball, 80s and 90s, you know, you had the Lakers and the Celtics, they got in the Pistons, they all get old, so the Bulls take over, the Bulls sweep in 1991, the Detroit Pistons go to the finals and win it all, which started a new dynasty, basically. All right, number seven, Sam. Number seven, I have the 1997-98 Detroit Red Wings. Maybe my Red Wings suck right now, but they certainly didn't in 1997 and 98. But I do want to bring up, you never saw it. You weren't old enough. (laughs) I actually did see it. I just not, you know, lie. All right. right. Uh, You had Chris Osgood, the goalie. You had Steve Eiserman. You had Shanahan. Now, their captain at the time was injured, but he would end up uh, coming on the ice to – with the Stanley Cup as well. But great team. They had uh, many wins that season, and not to mention they would go on to sweep the Capitals in the Stanley Cup. And I think sweeping any team in the Stanley Cup after having such a great regular season deserves to be up there, especially with the players that were on that team. Yeah, I hated that team just because they won the Stanley Cup. I had a dude that I worked with back then when I had a regular job. There was a huge Detroit Red Wings fan. I didn't hear him yap his mouth all the time. Uh, my number seven. Now you're stuck with me. <laughs> well, you're all right. 1987-1988 Edmonton Oilers would be my number seven. This was the the Edmonton Oilers won their fourth Stanley Cup in five years with a 4 to nothing series victory against the Boston Bruins who were making their first appearance in the Stanley Cup Finals in 10 years. And they finished second in the Smythe division in the regular season behind the Calgary Flames. The Oilers went 16-2 in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And for the first time since 1920, did I just say fur? For the first time since 1927, (laughs) a cup final game didn't have a winner. And this is what I alluded to before. In game four, the Oilers were leading the best of series, best of seven series, three to nothing. There was a power failure at the Boston Garden, which halted play at 16.37 in the second period with the game tied at three to three. And under NHL bylaws, the game was suspended to be made up in its entirety only if a game seven was necessary. So the series. I've ser- heard that somewhere, haven't I? Suspended. Huh. Yeah, yeah. The series shifted back to Edmonton. <laughs> where the Oilers earned a 6-3 victory to win it. Wayne Gretzky set a cup record with 13 points, 3 goals, 10 assists, won the Cotton Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP for the second time. And this was pretty much the end of it for the Oilers. But just like the Islanders, I mean, you had, I think it was like 8 out of 10 years 
where it was either Edmonton or the others won it all. And it, I think for a 10-year stretch for two dynasties combined was as good as it gets in the NHL. Sam? Oh, absolutely. Especially with the parody being what it is now, that's unlikely to really ever happen again. And 16 and 2, this is my number 6 actually. But 16 and 2 is just something that you couldn't even imagine in modern day NHL. So seeing that and what it is with with Rain Gretzky and all of them, it really does have to come very high on the list. All right, my number 6 are the 82-83 New York Islanders. Now, this was their fourth straight Stanley Cup, and they were just the second team in NHL history to win that many in a row. The Canadians had five consecutive wins from 56 through 60 and won four in a row from 76 to 79. Since the streak by the Islanders, no NHL team has won more than two consecutive titles. And goaltender Billy Smith won the Conn Smythe Trophy after limiting the Edmonton Oilers to six goals in four games in the Cup Final and shutting out the Campbell Conference champions in seven of 12 periods. Smith and the Islanders derailed a young Oilers team that have won 11 of its 12 playoff games and averaged more than six goals per game. Wayne Gretzky had an assist on four of the Oilers' six goals in the first Cup Final series. But the reason I ranked this Islander team higher than any other is the fact that they completely shut down this team. And I know the Oilers were young, but this is still Wayne Gretzky. And I still think to this day that Billy Smith and what he did in goal in that series was as good as anybody's ever been in goal in any series, Sam. Yeah, and you got to remember, me and you have both talked about this. The goalie is the most important. I mean, even with Wayne Gretzky, I mean, shutting him down at all is, is even insane to think of. So the fact that a goalie was able to do that is absolutely unbelievable. All right, Sam. What you got at number five? Is it six or five? Number five, yeah. It, we're five. And number five, I have the uh, 2007-2008 Detroit Red Wings. They are one of the few teams to break the curse of the President's Trophy and still win the Cup. They had 115 points that season and were still able to come up with a playoff record of 16-6, and six, shut out a lot of pon- opponents. They swept um, a team during the time that they got to the Stanley Cup. And just overall, uh, they did very well. They ended up playing the Pens in the final. They would play them again the next year, but for this year, they beat them in six games convincingly. And this is with Sidney Crosby we're talking about on the other end. So it was very impressive on their part. All right. My number five, you've already said, and that's 1997-98 Red Wings. Four-game sweep at a ca- sweep at the Capitals, as you said. They were led by Steve Eiserman who became the fifth player to win the Conn Smythe Trophy as the most valuable player in the playoffs while captaining his team. And the other thing here that I think goes unnoticed is Scotty Bowman equaled Toe Blake's NHL record of eight Stanley Cup coaching victories. So there you go, Sam. I got the Red Wings in here. You did get the Red Wings in there. I'm surprised, but, you know. Why are you you surprised? It's not like I'm a hater of the Red Wings. They suck. I mean, you did just get done saying that you hated the Red Wings, or was it just no? That I hated him that year the because of that one guy. I think his name was Chuck. Chuck Totten. I think his name was Chuck Totten. Chuck, if you're listening, yeah, I don't like you, but <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, he was a jerk, and then you know he he was younger than me because I was even old back in the '90s. So that would have been what, like 22 years ago. So I was like, well, no, I wasn't. I was like 28 or 29. But he bet me 
because we used to get bored. I, I actually worked as like the first mate at the casino down here, which meant that I get to drive the boat sometimes. But he was a deckhand, and we stood on the back of the boat because we would just go down there and screw off when the boat was closed because it used to not be open 24 hours. And we used to have to do training on if people fell overboard or something. And <laughs> he, he had an apple one day, and I coached this one kid on my team. His name was DJ, and his dad was a deckhand. And he knew I could throw a ball pretty good. And Chuck had been like the star high school running back somewhere in Ohio. It's hard to believe. It must have been a small school because he was a white, frail kid. But he he threw this orange, and it went white like 40 yards. And then Derry said, well, I bet Mike can throw it further than you. So then we had to have like a $50 bet on it. I smoked him, by the way. I threw the orange. <laughs> I'm in Lawrenceburg. I threw the orange, and I hit Riverfront Stadium. It was still standing at the time. That knocked it down, and that's why they had to build the new ballparks. Okay, then. What? We're, we're supposed to entertain, too. We're not just supposed to give top tens. But, all right. That's so, true. That's true. Let's see. Where are we at? Number four, Sam. Number four. Uh, I Actually, you mentioned this team already, 83-84 Oilers. But I think something to be mentioned here is this is also one of Wayne Gretzky's greatest years, uh, period. I mean, 87 goals. That's more goals than there are games. Most people have a hard time getting the same number of points as they do games, nonetheless just goals and then some. So I think all the points you mentioned when we were talking about it was very good, but I think that's another point to remember there is this is, you know, Wayne Gretzky's prime time. All right. Mm, yeah, he was pretty good. Because did you know that he actually went to high school in Indianapolis? I think he went to Broad Ripple High School for the year where he played in the WHA for the Indianapolis Racers, which was his first professional team. They had a lot more leagues back then. No, it was just a WHA. I mean, that was... No, I'm... What? They had a lot more leagues of what? Than we do now. You only have one. You had two or three. You had the WHL. Uh, you had the WHA. Oh, there was one other that I'm forgetting. Yeah, but the WHA was the one that was taken seriously. They're the ones that some of the teams got absorbed. Because I remember Cincinnati had a WHA team called the Stingers. And I remember yep. watching their games, listening to their games. Andy McWilliams on the call, who ended up calling games. He was the guy who was the radio voice of the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL in the early 80s. And I do a Xavier basketball show with him now, which is cool. But my number four, which there's no more Xavier basketball because it was suspended too. Um, my number four is <laughs> the 1991-92 Penguins. The Penguins won their second consecutive Stanley Cup championship with a sweep of the Chicago Blackhawks, who were making their first appearance in the finals since 1993. What made this more impressive, the Penguins sweeping the Blackhawks, is each team had an eight-game winning streak in the 1992 Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, that ended up tied with the next year's 92-93 Montreal Canadiens for the longest in one postseason in NHL history. Chicago's streak spanned the first three rounds. Pittsburgh won its last 11 games to repeat as champion. And the Penguins ended the Blackhawks' streak with a 5-4 victory in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Mario Lemieux kind of burst onto the scene here, had 34 points in the 15 games for Pittsburgh. He won to Conn Smythe. He had 16 goals, 18 assists. 
He was the playoff MVP for the second straight year, becoming the second player in league history to accomplish that feat. I mentioned the other one earlier, which would have been the 74-75 Flyers, who won back-to-back titles with Bernie Perrant in goal. And the Penguins became the third team to win the Cup in back-to-back seasons with a different coach. Scotty Bowman guided them to repeat victory after Badger Bob Johnson had won it for him in 1991. And Mario Lemieux is one of the closest things I've ever seen to Wayne Gretzky, Sam. Yeah, Mario Lemieux was definitely one of the greatest of all time. Definitely, if we were going to do, and I think we should in the future, do top ten forwards of all time, he'll definitely be, I think, within the top five. Do you think he was better than Larry Bird? <laughs> Not much. Larry sport. Bird was a forward, too. All right, Sam, that's enough of you screwing around. What do you got at number three? Number three of the 1977-78 Montreal Canadiens. 59 wins. You had a whole lot of the greats that are still um, uh, all remembered, like uh, Gay Lafleur, on that team. Uh, and they ended up doing very well in the playoffs and doing the things the Canadians used to do, unlike modern times where they are dreadfully mediocre. And they would end up uh, winning the Stanley Cup with a lot of those greats that you hear. Uh, and just the fact that you went 59 wins and won the Stanley Cup there's only one team that has had more wins and still won the Stanley Cup, and I'm still getting to that team. Okay. My number three is the greatest Detroit Red Wings team, I think, of all time. The 2001-2002 Red Wings. And this was a lineup with future Hall of Famers all over the place. The Red Wings took an unconventional oh, yeah. route to the Stanley Cup, becoming the first team in NHL history to win the championship after starting the playoffs with two losses at home. After those two losses to the Canucks, the, Reds, the Red Wings won 16 of their next 21 games for their third cup win under Scotty Bowman, who established a coaching record with his ninth cup victory, surpassing the mark held by the Montreal Canadiens coach, Toe Blake. The cup win was the first for many Red Wing veterans, including goaltender Dominic Hasek, Luke Robitelli, uh, Steve Duchesne, Frederick, we'll see, Frederick Olison was on that team too, wasn't he? And... It was the second cup win for 40-year-old Chris Chelios. 16 years after, he won it as a member of the Canadians in 1986. I think they beat the Flames in 86 in a five-game series. And the 37-year-old right-wing Brett Hall, who won the cup with the Stars in 1999. So I think this is a team that you could actually make a case for being the greatest team of all time. I tried to make that case. I came up with third, Sam. Yeah, I don't. Hmm. I I miss Dominic ha- Dominic Hasek. Okay. I do. Why do you miss Dominic? You see, this is this is how you. This is a good way to start your life, though. I was only born four months earlier, so. Yeah. Yeah. So you were born. They were winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> well, you got to come in with a bang. All right. What do you get at number two, Sam? Number two, I have the 1987-87 Edmonton Oilers, 119 points, 16-6 and in the playoffs. And Wayne Gretzky this year had 183 points. I think this has got to be one of the greatest teams of all time. This is why I have them at number two. You have Wayne Gretzky at his best this year, or just about. He only had a couple other seasons that were more in points. Uh, great playoffs at 16 and 6 and 119 points. It's hard not to make a case for them being one of the greatest. All right. I just realized something. 
we're going to end up with the same team at number one. You know, you're, I believe you're correct because I don't think you've mentioned number one. I, I think we're both heading in the same spot. All right, my number two, the 1984-85 Edmonton Oilers. Now, the reason I would put this team over to one you just said is the fact that this team, you know, was more dominant come playoff time. And I, I compare this team to, at the same time, there's an NBA team called the L.A. Lakers that were called Showtime. And the run-and-gun Oilers, I think, were Showtime. They were just like that Lakers team. They cruised past the competition. And they went 15-3 and in the Stanley Cup playoffs, including a five-game win against the Philadelphia Flyers in the finals. Wayne Gretzky set NHL record for assists with 30 and points 47 in a single postseason, and he scored seven goals in the final to, to tie the modern record shot, uh, shared by Jean Bellevue of the Montreal Canadiens and Mike Bossy, which is a much easier name to say, of the New York Islanders yeah. in 1982. But I, I think this was the Edmonton Oilers at the peak of their powers because you also had Yari Curry, who scored 19 goals in 18 games to tie the NHL record for goals in a single postseason. And, yeah, 19 goals in 18 games is more than a goal a game. Now, get this. He had four hat tricks, including a four-goal game, to break teammate Mark Messier's record for most hat tricks in one playoff year. Messier had three in 1982-83. Paul Coffey also had 12 goals, 25 assists, 37 points to shatter the NHL record for goals, assists, and points by a defenseman in one postseason you know, Bobby Orr, the Boston Bruins, held the record for goals at nine in 1970 and assists 19 in 1972. And Dennis Potvin of the New York Islanders held the record for points 25 in 1981. When you look at this, this was more than just Gretzky because Yari Curry was a great player. Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, this was a great team. So, number one, oh, yeah. are you on top and of that? Hold it, hold it. Go ahead. I, yeah, I think there's one other thing to be mentioned here is getting hat tricks in playoffs is incredibly difficult because the thing people forget about is unlike the regular season, you're facing one of the top 16 goalies. You don't get easy goalies most of the time. So being able to do all of those uh, hat tricks in one playoff, uh, in one playoff, uh, pardon me, in one playoff set is pretty incredible it's much harder because of the goalies you have to face. They are better when usually the goalies that you get hat tricks against are easier ones that you don't see in the playoffs. Well, the thing is this, they had Grant Fuhr goalie with all those points. How the hell did they lose three games? It's, you know what I mean? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Number one, we both have this or you're a moron, Sam, the 1976-77 Montreal Canadiens. Yep. Yeah. 60 this is why I was saying this is the team I'm getting to the only team that's had more wins than that previous team I was talking about was the year before that. Uh they had 60 wins and did the exact same thing. Uh, I think this is the it's hard not to say they're the greatest team of all time. 60 wins a Stanley Cup. I mean, you, the players you have on that team uh, Dryden, Lafleur, Ganey, Robinson, Savard. I mean, how can you not? Uh, they all won individual awards that year. They absolutely obliterated the playoffs. And, and 60 wins plus Stanley Cup, it's hard not to put them at number one, and I would have a hard time hearing any argument otherwise. Yeah, and I think on top of that, what makes them the greatest hockey team in history, I mean, 
they beat the Soviet Red Army. Correct? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I mean, that was played, and I've actually got the video of this entire game. I ought to put it up on our website. But it was December the 31st, 1975. You had the most successful franchise in the NHL hosted the Central Red Army team, which was the dominant team in the Soviet Union. And for three hours, millions of people in both Canada and Soviet Union were glued to their TV sets. And I, I think actually the final result was a 3-3 three to three tie. But this is the same team that when you look at the Miracle on Ice in 1980, where they talk about why it was such a great upset, because the Russians were considered the greatest team in hockey history, and a group of college kids, amateurs basically, beat them. So I think if you ever get a chance to watch this game, I'll get you a DVD of it if you want. But this was maybe the greatest hockey game I've ever seen. I mean, it was a 3-3 three to three tie, and the Canadians were just loaded with Hall of Famers. I mean, you had Guy Lafleur, Steve Schutt, Larry Robinson, Guy Lapointe, Jacques Lemaire, Serge Savard, Bob Ganey, Ken Dryden, Sam Pollock, Scotty Bowman. I mean, they were just loaded with them. And the Boston yeah, Bruins team. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned, like, it's not just that they were all good. It's that they were all having good years that specific year. I believe every single player you just mentioned won an individual award that year. Damn, there's that many awards. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, there is. That's a lot of awards. I mean, that's a lot it of was, Hall of Famers. It, it was at too. least four or five of those who won awards. I, I, I looked at it again to make sure, but you had Art Ross, Hart, uh, Vezina, and a couple other awards in there with a few of those other players. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, you had a Hall of Fame coach in Scotty Bowman, so there's no weaknesses at all. And the thing that really impresses me is when you look at it, 24 of the players on the roster, 14 were drafted by the Canadians. And, I mean, they pretty much developed all these. They won a combined 72 games, only tied by the Red Wings in 95 and 96. And, you know, this team was, I mean, the goal differential here, they scored 387 goals. They gave up 171 goals. And for the season, they scored 132 points. The second-place team that year was the L.A. Kings in the Norris Division, who had 83. They won the division by 49 points. Well, yeah, and that's something to be said even further. It's not just the differential, but because they won that many games, that's what's pushed the rest of the league below them in points. Well, and the thing is this. I mean, to be able to stay at that high a level all season long, and then to do it again in the playoffs, because come on, let's face it, you're in April and you got a 32-point lead. It's hard to concentrate. It's hard to be at the top of your game every night, but this is a team that was. And I think the reason that is, is you had all those Hall of Famers, and I'm sure they were competitive amongst themselves. So, you know, they probably kind of just oh, pushed sure. each other to be that great. I mean, if you look at this, one, two, three, four, five, six. They had 10 guys that scored 50 or more points. They had 12 yeah, guys that, at 40 or more. I mean, it's just at the Stanley Cup Finals. I think I've got all these games, too, if you ever want to see them. But they dominated. I, the, I do. Trust the, me, I do. The only close game was when they played Boston in Game 4 because I think they shut Boston out once. 
they blew them out once. And then the two games in Boston were relatively close, 4-2. to two, And I think game four was 2-1. to one. Guy Lafleur won the Conn Smythe Trophy. But uh, I think when you look at this, there's a debate in every other sport who the greatest team was. And I'm sure there's a debate here because you know the Wayne Gretzky, Edmonton Oilers fans are going to complain. And, and they've got a right to because maybe they were greater. You know, maybe some Islanders or Penguins fans will complain. But to me, there's no doubt that this is the 77 Montreal Canadiens were the greatest team in NHL history. Yeah, I don't I don't see how there can be a question here with the coaching and the players and and the records that it's hard. There's nothing even to get close enough, I think, to compare it with even like all those teams that we got done saying were all very great. But the numbers, the players and the coach, there's nothing really else to come close enough to compare it with to make an argument for another team, I think. Well, and the other thing is this. They were almost strictly Canadian back then, because if you look at it, the only American, or there's two Americans on the team, Bill Nyrop and Rick Cartra. I've never even heard of those two guys, so I figured they just kind of hung out. But when you look at that, you only had two Americans there. And in the draft that year, in like the 15 or 16 players that they drafted, only Bill Baker and Ron, or, eh, Bill Baker and Bruce Horsch were the only two guys that, you know, were Americans that were even drafted by them. The interesting thing about that is Bill Baker played at the University of Minnesota under Herb Brooks and probably best known as a member of the Miracle on Ice 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team that won the gold medal. He scored the tying goal as an extra skater came off forcing a 2-2 tie with Sweden in the opening game, and that tie actually allowed the U.S. to advance. So, and the other interesting thing about Bill Baker is he played for my Rangers too, but he also <laughs> played for the Canadians, but he didn't, he was in the amateur system, 77, 78, 79, played for the Olympic team in 80. Then he played a little bit for the Canadians. I think he played for the Colorado Rockies, the St. Louis Blues and the Rangers. He only had like a three or four year career, but he scored that goal against Sweden. That's good enough for me. But really, hey, if you the, do great while you're there. The the thing for me that put him or puts this team at number one is the three to three tie with that Russian team uh, with Tretiak, Parlamov. That was what that was as great as any team I've ever seen. And if they can hang with them, they're as good as any team that ever lived. But any final Absolutely. comments, Sam? Um, I'm just excited to keep doing this. I know modern news is really nice, and I'm gonna miss it for a while, especially considering I really doubt that it's just going to be suspended. I have a feeling they're going to get long enough that this is just going to get canceled, the current season, I mean. But it's nice to look back on a lot of the great teams and a lot of the great moments that we forget about when we're focusing on modern sports. Man, I don't forget about them. I still focus on it. The modern sports just get in my way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Samuel McG22, you can see all of our hockey content between me and Good Pastor posting this stuff from Good uh, Pastor. Fourth you Line know I hate to podcast. be called by my last name. I'm so used to it. I, I used to be in Civil Air Patrol where you were only supposed to call people by their last name. But see, I'm so not in I'm Civil like, I'm, Air I'm Patrol. I'm having to like 
Exactly. So I'm having to like switch my mind back to like normal now, which is difficult. I think I find it disrespectful to be called by just my last name. And I don't know why. I just do. Yeah, I don't know why either. Usually that's a symbol of respect. You know what? But that's a Whitney whatever Houston works for song. you, I don't care. Did you know that? That's a Whitney <laughs> Houston song too. I don't know why. I just what? do. It's a Whitney Houston song from the mid eighties. I want to dance with somebody. Those words are in that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm old, Sam. I was in high school when Whitney Houston was famous. Um, all right, guys. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Sam, we want to come back later in this week with the 10 worst teams in NHL history? Yeah, that one will definitely be interesting because we've had some more of those recently. So I'll know a bit more about those specifically, or I have seen more of those. All right, Sam. We're going to go ahead. We're going to wrap it up for the NHL Weekly Show. We'll be back later this week for another inane top 10 list from me and Sam. Make sure you check it out. Make sure you listen to us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, over 300 different outlets now. You can find The Grueling Truth. You can follow me at The Grueling Truth. So for now, for Sam McGinnis, I'm Mike Goodpastor. You've been listening to The Grueling Truth, where the legends speak.